Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Something as omnipresent as the sun has a lot of mysteries for us to unravel. Now studying the sun and observing it with a telescope isn't easy. But when you do get a chance to put a new space satellite up there, you can learn a lot of things, whether it be solar wind, solar flares, why the sun's outer corona is so hot. There are plenty of mysteries to solve about the sun, and understanding the sun more can help us be better protected here on Earth from stellar weather. There are a lot of things we take for granted that are incredibly complex beneath the surface. Things like running water from a tap, how it made that journey to get to you, the way rain works, the way our organs or our brain. But one of the most largest things that we often take for granted that is deceptively complex and intricate is, of course, the sun. Now, the sun does a lot of things for us. Enabling us to live is but one of them. And studying the sun is also incredibly difficult because, well, it's incredibly hot, it's really bright, and it's a long way away. So getting good measurements and getting good observations of the sun is both a challenging and fascinating area of science. Now, a stellar observatory by the name of Solar Orbiter has just arrived at the sun, created by the ESA, European Space Agency, and NASA. And it's been studying the sun now for a little while, trying to piece together some of the sun's mysteries. Now, the sun isn't just a giant ball of plasma or gas or burning fire. There's a lot more intricate things going on there. We know that the sun has a cycle around 11 years that changes the weather, the solar flares, the stellar wind, the activity coming out from the sun. We see peaks and troughs in stellar activity, times when there's more flares and times when there's less flares. And we can see these big coronal mass ejections, these big arcs coming out of the sun in different locations as well. So understanding what's happening on the sun, coming out of the sun, and just generally around the sun is incredibly important. But this new project, Solar Orbiter, has been studying what they call these miniature, nearly omnipresent solar flares. They're called campfires, which occur just near the surface of the sun. Now, normally, these have been very difficult to spot, and we know about the big flares because they're easy to see. For example, if you sort of block out the center of the sun and look at just the corona, the outside edge, you can see the large flares arcing out of the surface of the sun very easily. But tiny little flares all over the surface of the sun, these little campfires, well, actually studying them requires a precise instrument. And that's exactly what the ESA's solar orbiter is. Now, of course, it has not just one instrument on it, but a lot of them. In fact, The Solar Orbiter, which launched way back in February 2020, actually carries six different remote sensing instruments, or telescopes. And these are actually designed to not just image the sun itself, but also its surroundings. So it's got these six main remote sensing instruments, and then it's got four in-situ instruments that monitor the environment around the spacecraft. So this is useful for two reasons. By having the six instruments or telescopes that can stare at the sun or the area around the sun, you learn a lot about what's happening on the sun itself. But by then having more instruments on the probe itself, you can actually learn about what comes out of the sun. This forms all of the stellar wind or the space weather. And one of the great parts about the Solar Orbiter mission is that 
no other spacecraft has been able to take such detailed, close images of the sun's surface from such a close distance to the sun. It's, in fact, the closest images of the sun that we've ever achieved. Now, that's enabled researchers, including researchers from the number of the universities and institutes that are involved in the European Space Agency's mission, like the Royal Observatory of Belgium and Principal Investigator David Bergham. What they can see is some of the most intricate, newly identified phenomena on the surface of the sun. Now, these were taken with an instrument called the Extreme Ultraviolet Imager. Now, when these images were taken, it was only 77 million kilometers away from the sun. So it doesn't seem like a lot, but pretty close, especially for a very sensitive instrument. And what they saw were these little relatives of solar flares that, like the big ones that we can see from Earth, but million or maybe a billion times smaller, and these were scattered all over the lower layers of the sun's atmosphere, known as the solar corona. And when you look at the sun, it might look quiet, especially from a distance. But when they look in detail, there are these miniature flares and flames everywhere, all over the sun's surface. Now, scientists are trying to figure out, are these just tiny versions of big flares? Or is there another different kind of mechanism that's causing them? And it's potential that they're actually contributing to one of the most mysterious and not well understood aspects of the sun, which is coronal heating. Now, the solar corona is the outermost layer of the sun's atmosphere, and it extends millions of kilometers out into space. But the mystery about it is that its temperature is more than a million degrees Celsius, which is orders of magnitude hotter than the actual surface of the sun, which is, by comparison, around 5,000 degrees Celsius. So scientists have been long trying to figure out what on earth causes this outer part of the sun's atmosphere to be far hotter than the actual surface of the sun. But it's possible, not confirmed, that all of these small, tiny solar flares, these campfires, each of themselves are insignificant, but they might be contributing large amounts of heat that actually heat up that solar corona. Now that would be one, certainly one theory, that would help solve this mystery about the sun's nature that we still don't understand. But by having instruments on the probe and by measuring the stellar wind and also the presence of other particles and studying in detail, not only the close side of the sun, but the far side of the sun, then you can actually catch all other kinds of interesting facts about what makes up the sun and why it behaves the way it does. So the mystery of coronal heating still not solved but we definitely have some more data that may explain what we're seeing there. But that's not the only thing the Solar Orbiter mission is helping us discover. Another one of the instruments on the Solar Orbiter is the Polyometric and Helioseismic Imager, PHI. Now, it takes high-resolution images and measurements of the magnetic field lines on the surface of the Sun. 
Now, why would you want to do that? Well, the magnetic field of the sun often controls and indicates way in which flares are going to occur on the sun and helps us understand the magnetic field of the sun as well, which governs the solar weather or the weather really in our entire solar system. So during solar flares, the sun can release bursts of energetic particles that enhance the solar wind that's actually just constantly coming out from the star itself. Now, these directions of these particles are shaped in a way by the sun's magnetic field and get interrupted or disrupted when they bounce off the Earth's magnetic field, the magnetosphere. This can cause all kinds of problematic magnetic storms that can disrupt not only telecommunication networks and power grids on the ground, but lots of spacecraft in the sky as well. Now, when the 11 year solar cycle, the current period we're in, is the quiet times, the, the, the low activity period, which means it's not a bad time to actually get in close to try and study the sun. Now, the solar orbit is actually at a different angle than the Earth is in its orbit around the sun. So they can actually observe parts of the sun that wouldn't otherwise be observable from Earth. And that's pretty interesting. For example, we've never really been able to measure the magnetic field at the back part of the sun, but that's exactly what the solar orbit emission can do with this particular instrument, the PHI. So with this, the researchers can actually see the structure of the magnetic field on the surface of the sun, and you can see the structure which helps guide and shape the corona around the sun. And from that, you can actually infer the magnetic field lines going all the way out from the sun deep into the interplanetary medium, space, where the solar orbiter is hanging out. Now, that's, again, not the only instrument that they're using, but that study of the magnetic field lines and the way in which they come out of the sun also helps guide the researchers to study the stellar wind, all of those particles and solar flares and everything else ejected from the sun's surface and corona out into space. And that's exactly what some of these onboard in situ instruments on the solar orbiter are trying to study, such as situ solar wind analyzer. So using the data by flying through these waves of stellar wind, they can actually get an idea and trace back, using what they also know from the other instruments, exactly where those particles came from. What part of the sun does this stellar wind emanate from? And what does it tell us not only about that bit of stellar wind and stellar weather, but also what caused it in the first place? So being able to pinpoint back where a flare or some kind of stellar wave or wind came from, we can actually understand the mechanism causing them and better predict them in the future. And that's really important because by getting all this data, collaborating with different research groups, each working on different instruments, we can piece together a picture of the sun that's far more complete. And that's really important because the sun is one of the most significant things in our region of the universe, significant for life, significant for energy, you name it. Significant in just in general for the formation of the solar system itself. So understanding the way in which the sun works, how it can cause flares, magnetic storms and weather, how it can change the levels of activity. These can all actually not just answer questions of ways we don't understand the sun actually works, but it can also answer questions that will help us better predict the way the sun will behave into the future, which is important for everything from our satellites, our mobile phones working well, to important medical instruments and the electricity grid staying alive and stable in these big solar storms.
is some great research from collaborations from the ESA, NASA, and the 19 of its member states and their partner institutions inside of that, all collaborating on a very important scientific mission, Solar Orbiter. Solar Orbiter isn't the only probe observing the Sun. NASA's Solar Dynamics Observatory, SDO, has been observing the Sun now for almost a decade. Launched all the way back in 2010, SDO has been contributing valuable research and insights into the way in which solar flares work. Now, researchers from Japan's Nagoya University have been using data from the Solar Dynamic Observatory and using it to build a model or a magnetic map of all the magnetic field lines on the sun's surface. And the results were published in the journal Science in July 30, 2020. Now this is interesting because it actually can help line up with the research we spoke about earlier from the Solar Orbiter mission. Now, one of the reasons why the Solar Dynamics Observatory and this model are important, because it's all part of how we learn to live with our star, how we analyze and study flares and make predictions about when they may hit Earth and what happens in them. Because as we spoke about before, even from small flares to big flares, despite the fact they can be relatively infrequent, they can have big impacts to stop radio communications, power grid operations, to even endangering people who are in space on a space station. So whilst there haven't been that many big flares in the last solar cycle of 11 years, there's only around 50. It's still something that we want to keep our eye on because a big flare at the wrong time can have devastating impacts. So that's where the team from the Institute for Space and Environmental Research at Nagoya University, led by Kanya Kusano, have been investigating and mapping out the way in which the sun's magnetic field works. And the reason they've been trying to do this is to understand the pattern and the way in which the flares themselves form. Now, we know that flares erupt from hot spots of magnetic activity on the solar surface. If you see a picture of the sun, that these will appear as those black dark blotches that freckle the sun, the so-called active regions. So what this model does is try to analyze and identify which of these active regions are more likely to be the source of a massive flare. Now, a typical solar flare needs some kind of trigger, especially X-class, the most high energy ones. They all need something that occurs before the eruption, something that sort of sparks it off. Now, normally, before an eruption occurs in a flare, that energy is normally contained around twisting magnetic field lines that form these unstable arches over a magnetic region. These arcs on the stellar and the corona, they will then become unbounded and flare out and become a big flare. Now, According to scientists, having a highly twisted rope-like lines in this magnetic flare, this big interwoven winding type arcs, means that it's actually a precursor for a pretty big flare. With enough twisting, two neighboring arches, two of these big arcs on the sun's surface, can actually combine into one really large double humped arch. It looks a little bit like an M. This approach, this is called magnetic reconnection. And what you end up with is when these two magnetic field lines, instead of making a small arc and returning to the sun's surface, join up in an M shape, well, it creates a very unstable magnetic structure, a bit like a rounded M. Now, when this joins, how this magnetic unstable structure collapses can 
result in more or less big flares occurring. If you think about it this way, it's, it's a house of cards. Now, depending on which way it will topple, the flare can release a flood of energy in different ways. Cassandra describes it to being similar to an avalanche. Now, avalanches start with a small crack, but if the crack is high up on a slope, you end up with a really big crash and flow of material down in the avalanche. If the crack starts really low down, there isn't that much potential energy or extra matter swept into it, so the avalanche doesn't have that much of an impact. The same thing occurs for this magnetic reconnection. If the reconnection happens near the boundary, the join between these two arches, then there's a lot of energy available and it can flare out from both sides in a huge flare. But if it's far away from that boundary, far away from the join, that really peak unstable area, well, the flare can just fizzle out. Now, it doesn't mean that it's harmless. It probably still will involve a large ejection of a cloud of solar material called a coronal mass ejection, but it's not from the highest energy region or risk area of this unstable arch that creates a solar flare. Now, when they studied the seven active regions from the last solar cycle, they could see where the strongest flares were occurring, uh, at least on the Earth side of the sun, the Earth-facing side of the sun, that is. And what they used these new observations from the Solar Dynamics Observatory to actually trace out these magnetic field lines and find these join points where it would be most likely for them to occur. And they could actually predict the flares using this method. They were able to predict seven out of the nine total flares with three false positives, which is a pretty high false positive rate, but it's not bad for a first attempt at a model. Now, the prediction element of this piece is one of the main reasons why these researchers are doing this, because it helps scientists live with a very volatile and potentially dangerous star that can produce stellar weather and solar flares and solar storms that would impact everyone here on Earth. So having at least a better way to predict these flares and find out exactly which part of the regions and where the flares are likely to occur is actually incredible research. And it shows the value that even an older probe like the Solar Dynamics Observatory can still contribute to, almost 10 years later, cutting-edge research that helps us better understand our star. There's some great research published in the journal Science from Kunyana Kusano, Tamai U, Yuma Bamba and Satoshi Inui. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. From magnetic fields to sunspots, sun flares, even measuring solar weather, studying the sun can help us not only understand our place in the universe, but also protecting ourselves here on Earth. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.